0: We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness.
1: Episodes in this season are made possible by a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which is dedicated to bettering the lives of those affected by depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content.
0: Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. Today, we're going to talk about men and depression. We don't usually differentiate between the genders on our podcast because, let's face it, depression is an equal opportunity illness. Mm -hmm. But there are some real differences that affect the way men experience it or are treated and accepted. True.
1: In the book, The Men We Never Knew, the author, who is a psychotherapist, Daphne Rose Kingma, writes, because of the way boys are socialized, their ability to deal with emotions has been systemically undermined. I love that phrase. Men are taught point by point not to feel, not to cry, and not to find the words to express themselves. Men are literally programmed from childhood to be ashamed of their vulnerability and weaknesses when they're both normal aspects of being human. So not surprisingly, a lot of men feel like they lose their masculinity when they admit they're depressed. But today's guest, Robert Roro Asmar, challenges men to look at mental health challenges differently.
0: And to realize that it requires true strength to admit that you're struggling and that you need help. (laughs) We learned of Roro from an article in the National Alliance of Mental Illness blog where he wrote a fabulous article entitled How Depression Made Me a Man. As soon as we read it, we knew we had to track him down for an interview.
1: We found him in Washington, D.C. Roro is a proud Brooklyn, New York-born, first-generation Lebanese-American chef and food truck owner. In both appearance and action, he is a man who is very unlikely to be called weak. He's more of an enlightened alpha male. Yet today he's joining us to explain that it's not his strength or success that make him feel like a true man. He credits his depression for that. Seriously. Here's Roro reading his article. It's only about four minutes long. And then answering some questions for us.
2: Here we go. Uh, The title is How Depression Made Me a Man uh, by uh, Roro Asmar. Be strong. Toughen up. Don't cry. Never did someone stand over me as a kid and yell, let it out. It's okay to cry. It's human to hurt From my football coaches to my own father, it seems as though the social norm for men is to be some kind of impenetrable mountain of muscle that feels no pain and has no emotion. If we're not hunting or fighting or eating a bloody rare steak, then we're not men. As a kid, I idolized the manly behemoths on TV. From Arnold Schwarzenegger to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I wanted to be just like them. And I didn't only want to mimic their physical appearance, but I wanted to be as happy and carefree as they seemed. Our culture depicts men as heroes and symbols of strength and popularity, almost to the point of being invincible. Every little boy wants to be invincible. When my parents fought yelling and breaking things in the house, all I wanted to be was invincible against how sad they made me feel. I wanted to be invincible against the feelings I had when that girl I had a crush on in fifth grade said, no thanks, you're too fat for me. After I finally worked up the courage to ask her to be my girlfriend, instead, I ran away and cried in the boys' bathroom during second period. I wanted to be invincible when my youth football coach called me a pussy because I got hit and I said it hurt. Instead, I questioned why feeling pain it made me less of a man. All these feelings, emotions, and a twisted view of masculinity had a hold on me. Rather than accept and process my emotions, I learned to ignore and compartmentalize them. I kept my issues and pains to myself and tried my hardest to push them down as deep and far away from the surface as I could. Then the day came when the flood couldn't be held back any longer and the levees broke. For so long, I had hidden my pain, my confusion, my depression, and I had become good at pretending to be okay with everything life was throwing at me. But one day, it was not okay anymore. My mental illness had been ignored for so long, and it would not be quieted any longer. I couldn't find any more strength or courage or fight just to keep those around me from finding out how bad I truly felt. I was so conditioned to man up. That when the pain, sorrow, and thoughts of suicide ran through my mind, I had no answer. I couldn't yell or puff my chest at depression. Depression didn't care how much I could lift or what car I drove or how many girls I had been with. Depression knew the real me. and knew the little boy who could never face his real problems head on because the society in which he grew up wouldn't let him. He was too busy pretending to be strong, too busy pretending to be a man to admit he lived with depression. After my attempted suicide and rehabilitation, things started to become clearer. I learned that pain, sorrow, anger, and sadness are a part of life. Emotions don't care if you are a man or a woman or a household pet. For the first time, I could accept and acknowledge my weaknesses and my pain. Finally, I found myself and have never felt stronger or more of a man. Coming out about my depression was one of the most freeing and courageous things I have ever done. No longer am I silent or fearful about who I really am. I am comfortable and confident enough in myself to accept and face my demons. I'm no longer ashamed of my depression. And being self-aware and brave enough to face my emotions fills me with more manly strength and pride than any action hero ever did. I can now step in front of my mental illness and accept it as a part of me instead of always living in its shadow. And I'm here to tell you, fellas, to be bold and fearless about who you are. Be strong enough to admit your pains. Be courageous to acknowledge your struggles, regardless how unmanly they may seem. Depression affects six million men per year. So next time you're in the locker room talking, I hope that the conversation becomes deeper than just football plays and girls. For being a man is what we men make it.
1: We've never had someone read a full piece before, yet we suspect you agree it was worth hearing every word. It's interesting to note that while Roro specifically spoke of idolizing manly behemoths like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, just days before this interview, he too spoke out publicly about his struggle with depression and the fact he was constantly crying as he experienced its pain.
2: Talk about, you know, the idolization of these characters, but then not understanding that those characters are people, and it's, you know, it's similar and kind of, you know, similar to mental health. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, someone experience, someone living with a mental illness finds themselves playing a character. And I found myself playing a character for so long that I, I didn't like who I was. I wasn't happy with who I was. It was kind of a, one of the more, you know, it was one of the more powerful driving forces behind my depression, leading me up into my suicide attempt. I always carried this, like, masculine bravado about myself because I assumed, because I was, you know, everyone saw me as, you know, the jock or the football player or, you know, the class clown and always smiling. And I always had to keep that up. But that's not who I really was. Kind of after, I just, I dropped that character. I stopped playing that role.
1: Rora was 22 when he attempted suicide. He's 27 now and obviously in a very different place. To understand just how different, we want to revisit and highlight a few of the lines in his article. Roro, you wrote, all these feelings, emotions, and a twisted view of masculinity had a hold on me. Rather than accept and process my emotions, I learned to ignore and compartmentalize them. Until the day you say you couldn't anymore.
2: Oh, uh, well, that was uh, probably the night of my suicide attempt. I had just gotten to a point Mentally and physically where I was just, I was beat. I was done. I just didn't want to fight anymore. You know, I didn't see the point or the reason why. You know, I just, I had lost all hope and I had, you know, lost perspective and. You know, because we get to that point, that invisible wall that guys or that men have, that it's tough to, you know, get the typical average man to express himself in that way uh, and speak about his mental illness or speak about that weakness or that darkness that that he is experiencing and trying to keep my strength and trying to, you know, man up for everybody else around me while forgetting that I also need to take care of myself.
1: Roro is now committed to caring for himself. He calls working out regularly and his vegan diet his saving graces. He says writing that article and doing his first podcast interview with us are also part of his healing process. Another excerpt from Roro's story that lands like a punch is depression knew the real me. It knew the little boy who could never face his real problems head on because the society in which he grew up wouldn't let him.
2: Oh man, I like. I was sitting there writing, and I was thinking. I was like, "When was the first time I experienced depression, or I experienced that 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 numbing tingle? You know, that feeling that is not a feeling." And I remembered, it and it was it was my fifteenth birthday, and all I'm going to do is get toys and be with my best friends, and you know, going to eat some cake and pizza. I was like, I had no reason to be sad and be gloomy about it, but I was. I was just a little kid, just and I, and I couldn't explain it to myself.
1: So we asked. What can we, what must we do as parents and partners and friends and a society to create a more healthy, allowing environment so that boys can grow up to be men who can name, express, and heal their hurts and feelings?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Great question. Um, I believe. I mean, not even just for men, but everyone in general. I think it's the conversations we're not having. In my opinion. Why we see such a rise in mental illness and such a rise in attempted suicides and such a rise in people dying by suicide. Maybe the family structure or even just the community structure, we are so separated and alienated and closed off in our own worlds that we forget to reach out to the other worlds all around us. We forget that people need us and we need people and either to talk to, to express feelings to, you know, because like we're sitting here talking about my article while that is a virtual you know extension of myself that is an extension of myself nonetheless it was my you know my therapy it was my way to heal by telling someone else my story because maybe i couldn't sit you know over coffee with that person because they might live on the other side of the country but that is my way to have that discussion you know because i feel that we just don't we just lose too much of a connection to other people and then that dark place that we go to just gets lonelier and lonelier
1: lonely and isolated Two of the least healthy ways to feel, when if we just talked more openly about our feelings, struggles, and depression, we might literally find support an arm's length away.
2: Six million men are affected by depression every year, and it's like literally, you know, I could be standing in a locker room with a guy right beside me, and he's dealing with depression just like I am, but... Neither of us will say that to each other. Neither of us will look at each other and admit that. No way, shape, or form. If you're a a gambling person, don't put money on that. Not going to happen.
1: Not going to happen as long as men who hunger for connection and support have to worry about being met with judgmental, ignorant words like snowflake or sissy when they get real about what's going on in their heads and hearts.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, coming from my experience, I'm probably one of the, uh, I guess, more well-rounded sissies, if I were to be that kind. <laughs> uh, you know, I I, was, I played. You know, I got to go to college to play football, and I got a shot at the NFL, didn't make it all the way, but, you know, now I'm running a successful business, uh, and, you know, I'm getting ready for a bodybuilding show. And I would say to someone in that position where they're saying, you know, oh, that's going to make more sissies, I would ask them, has anything ever bothered them? Have they ever had feelings of sadness or anger or pain or sorrow about anything? either loss or personal experience that they were involved with. So to say that, you know, it's it's making a culture of sissies, I challenge you to expand your mind and your opinion of what the uh, gentleman is or the modern gentleman is that I hope that I can one day model myself after and show others that that is another way to be.
1: And that other way is with the sincerity, perspective, and candidness to put himself out there to help other men with truths like being self-aware and brave enough to face my emotions fills me with more manly strength and pride than any action hero ever did
2: there isn't just one way to be a man you know we we aren't explaining everything in these tv shows and action movies we're all watching yeah we all like guys want to be as big and as strong as them and you know drive the cool car and get the girl but at the end of the day you know those are you know we're all worried about the material and the aesthetic but we're not worried about internally you know our internal health is the quickest way to our external health as long as i keep progressing forward and trying to do the best I can and trying to provide a light in this world or, you know, some positivity in my own world, then, you know, I'll be okay. And to me, that's, that's the best man I can be. And I'm proud of who I am and I'm happy with who I am. So that's all that matters. And, you know, don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about, you know, what society's telling you. Worry about what you're telling yourself.
1: I think man up has got to be my least favorite phrase. I when we were talking, I was thinking about I remember we used to get throat cultures to see if you had strep. I don't know if they still do it, but they put it in a petri dish and see if it grows. And I thought that's what like society is. You know, it takes all that nonsense like man up and be tough and be a good little soldier, and it just grows this grossness that sticks with these guys until they're adults and not functioning especially well in a feeling world.
0: Hmm. I thought it was interesting when he said, I questioned why feeling pain made me less of a man. Mm -hmm. Good thing to question. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is frustrating. And it's also, you know, the the
1: number one, when you look at the suicide rates, the two most likely or predictive factors, I think, are being a man and being white. So, you know, white men have by far the highest suicide rates. And I think uh, changing attitudes and changing
0: beliefs could go a long way to changing that. Absolutely. He talked about, um, he, what did he say? He said he, that he tried to push down his pain and his emotions deep down, you know, as much as he could. And when he was saying that, I'm thinking the word depressed, oh. you know, it's like to press down, to depress pain and emotions. I like that. I've heard it as depressed and I've never liked that, but. Depressed, I do like. Yeah, yeah, very good. I never thought of that. Me neither. But the way he said it, it brought that up. But the cool part for me, or one of the cool parts for me, is he said telling his story, first through an article and now on a podcast, about his experience mm-hmm. with depression was the most freeing and courageous thing that he had ever done. Nice. And, and it does, it.
1: It, yeah, it doesn't, you know, it feels like such a risk to do. But as soon as you do it, it's kind of like, oh, that was a load I was carrying that I probably didn't need to carry. Exactly. I
0: don't, carry. I don't even know that anybody <laughs> said anything <laughs> to me about mine. But it didn't right? matter because it was just like saying it made it, you know, exactly what you just said. I wasn't carrying it anymore. Now it was out there.
1: hmm it's like that flashlight in the basement, right? You shine a light on whatever it was that seemed so scary, and you go, oh, it's just, you know, the furnace or whatever it is that's...
0: Yeah, not that I would ever say that my depression was a but
1: yes. Oh, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either, honey. I wouldn't say that about yeah. mine or yours or anybody else's. Nope. No, no one's... So, great article. Uh, Really glad we we found him. If you ever are in Washington, D.C., and you see a Lebanese food truck and a guy with a bunch of tattoos who uh, sounds enlightened and really cool, go up and tell Roro you heard his story on the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. I don't think you'll get a discount or anything, but at least he'll know you listened. Absolutely. So, thank you for sharing your story, Roro, and thank you, Bridget.
0: Thanks, Terry. Bye. Bye. Love you. We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely. Thanks to all, everyone, who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. You can find all the other episodes, some resources,
1: and a blog on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And you can find the podcast most of the other places that you find podcasts. Just Google it, as our mom says. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and please remember if you're hurting speak up if someone else is hurting listen up